I'll read the scripture right away from John chapter 20, where the text of the message is today. John 20 verses, um, I'm going to start at verse 10 actually and go 10 through 18. And then, uh, then you can sit down after that, but out of reverence to God's word here. Listen as we hear once again this wonderful true story. It says there, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried, carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Use it again today in our lives. Sanctify us. Set us apart in this truth. And help us to live in it each day. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We've been going all the way with Jesus during this Lenten season. And now we have reached the tomb. (laughs) We've reached Easter morning. We've reached that point of what has happened. If we would read the verses ahead of the verses we just read, we would read that it was at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And it's into this garden that the women came early on that Sunday morning. And as they're walking along on that Sunday morning, through the trees and through the flowers, they wonder, who's going to roll the stone from the mouth of the tomb? So that they can enter and hopefully get to anoint the body of Jesus. And suddenly as they turn in the garden path and they come upon the grave, their eyes fall on the stone that's already been rolled away. And the tomb is empty. And perhaps horror-stricken, they stop to exchange quick comments on what it means. And then Mary Magdalene turns and runs to go and tell the disciples while the rest of the women go to the tomb. They are not... Sorry, they are met by an angel, we read in Luke 24, verses 6 through 8. And do you remember the words that the angel said to the women? He is not here. And then those words that we greeted right away this morning, He is risen. 
Now, somewhere in all of this, Mary Magdalene reaches the disciples breathlessly, probably tells them that the tomb has been is empty. Perhaps she even says that it's robbed of its elements. (laughs) And Peter and John run to investigate. And they dash to the garden grave. They find it empty. They find the grave clothes neatly folded. They leave the tomb. Probably meeting Mary who is just returning to the garden. We don't know what they told her. But she proceeds alone to the tomb. The door of the grave where she too, when she peeks in, meets an angel. And we read here that the angel asks her that question, why do you weep? And she explains, because they've taken my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. Just then, someone comes up behind her. Through her tears, she makes out the figure of a man. The picture you see on the screen, next to the verses that we're looking at here in a bit, that's the picture I grew up with every Sunday. You know, those old churches have the old altars and the painting. That's the painting that I would see every Sunday. I could probably tell you every inch of the painting along those lines. (laughs) But what a reminder every Sunday of the resurrection. (laughs) And quietly, the man that she sees through her tears asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And she supposes him to be the gardener. They're in a garden. It fits for that idea. Sir, she says, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll, I'll get him. And then there's that one word. Jesus says, Mary. Her name spoken by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I wish we could all hear our name that way. Mary falls to her feet and she says, Teacher, Rabboni. And Easter breaks into Mary's heart. Her life becomes a garden. There was a preacher one time who preached a message and he entitled the message, Supposed He is a Gardener. Suppose that He is. Because yes, Jesus is the divine gardener. At creation, where did God place man? In the Garden of Eden. Where there was the tree of life. But man rebelled, forcing the expulsion because of sin. And yet the gardener did not cease to love those exiles from that first garden. But he came to another garden. Gethsemane. And there in bitterest suffering, he took the cup of our sins. And rebellion. He took it all upon Himself that we might be reconciled so that we could go to the garden of paradise where the tree of life is today. A second Eden, if you want to think of it that way, prepared for all those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But between Gethsemane and the gardens of heaven lies another garden. 
The one around the open grave. The one that Mary Magdalene was in that Easter morning. And in reality, it's a garden of life. Jesus is the gardener of this life. He's a living Savior. You may not remember that as you come to church each Sunday, but it's a good reminder, isn't it? But it's more than a reminder. It's something we can live in every day. There was a time Martin Luther was having a rough day and he was being kind of grouch. That's the way the story goes. And his wife Katie went upstairs or went wherever it was in the house and she came back out wearing all black. And Martin Luther's like, what? What? I don't know how he addressed her. I don't know German or anything that way. But what in the world? And... and uh, she goes, well, the way you're acting, Jesus must have died and stayed dead. We need to remember, no matter what the day is, is that He has risen. And He's alive. And we have that garden of life. You see, Easter has three tenses when you really think about it. It has a past tense. It's an accomplished fact. Jesus was raised from the dead, sealing our redemption in Him. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17, later on in 1 Corinthians 15 there, it reads, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If that's where it stops. But then you have to go to verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It is an accomplished fact. It is truth. Easter also has the tense of a future tense, doesn't it? In 1 Corinthians 15, if we keep reading in verses 21 and 22, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. One day the promise is sure that everybody in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. We stated it today in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. To those who believed, to those who who had that childlike faith, it'll be a resurrection of life where our souls will meet our bodies in the air. But to those who do not believe, there is a resurrection as well. It has a past tense, it has a future tense, but more importantly today, it has a present tense too. Easter is here and now. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the dynamic by which all who have been touched by the forgiving hand of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, we've been given the hope of eternal glory. To live here and today in the garden of life. And that's where I want to emphasize today. Is that living that we need to, that we can have right now. Because you see, we need 
a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can have that because He is a living Savior. We don't need any more, quote, religion where we just do, do, do to try and get saved. (laughs) True Christianity is revealed in the Word of God. And it shows us there in the law who we are as we look into that mirror and we see our need and we see our sin. And then the Word of God shows us the Gospel. It shows us the good news of a Savior who died and took that punishment and a Savior who rose again to give us life. And because of that, then we have that life. We are able then to live it out. Because of what was done. Not trying to be good enough or not trying to control us getting ourselves to God. Now you see the symbol up on the board or up on the screen. <laughs> it's, it's that symbol of our AFLC, our Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. I love the symbol because where does it point to? Where is the truth? It's in the Word of God. You see it there. But we need that living relationship. You see the dove, the Holy Spirit lives within those who believe. And then you see the green plant. For that growth to take place, we live in what Christ has done each day. By the way, you can't do it in yourself. (laughs) We need Him. We need His Word. It's not just a resurrection day today once a year. In reality, every day is a day where we can be reminded and live in that truth. Because you know what the Scripture says in James 2.19. It says even the demons believe and they shudder. It's more than just a mental belief or knowing about it. It's a relationship. It's that, I love the way it's brought out in Colossians um, chapter 2, sorry, chapter 1, verse 27. It's that mystery. It's called a mystery. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. And it's such a wonderful hope. It's a hope that's based on the truth of the resurrection. Wayne, I believe you shared those verses from 1 Peter 1 on this past Friday night as you shared your testimony. It's right there. (laughs) Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter would write. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade that's kept in heaven for you. Did you catch the first song that the orchestra played today? Because He lives, we can face tomorrow. We can have eternal life now. We live in it. And it's not based on us. It's based on what He has done. We have to receive it. Open the gift. May the message of Easter, again, plow up the ground of our complacency. May it plant 
trees. May it plant a garden again in our life. I'm afraid of the way sometimes that we do celebrate Easter. Because we we sometimes make it into a sham and a show. It's the time... It's time we maybe it's time well it is time that we should stop deceiving ourselves into believing that that people are celebrating Easter when they just come to church on Easter day. <laughs> and then maybe Christmas with things. Because it's more than just showing up every now and then. <laughs> if you were in the army, if you uh didn't show up for a long time, what would they do? What do they do? They they put you in the dead file. And when after Easter people who have been to church for the Hallelujahs and Lilies are missing again, that's a, that's what happens so often. By the way, just so you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> I love the way Keith Green always put it. He said, going to church makes you a Christian just as much as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, is what he said it. It's not the act of going to church, but it's something that we want to do and to be a part of. That God's Word becomes a part of our lives and that He begins to grow our relationship with Him. And if you have a plant that you don't water and you don't put sun upon, what happens to it? It dies. He's the one who can bring that life back for us. Jesus is life. The resurrected Lord is life. There's a temptation to make it something or some division or some department of our life that we just pull out every now and then. It's not a set of ethics by which the moral side of life is guided. It is life. He is life. It's not a diversion for Sunday mornings just to get away from the humdrum of the weekday tasks. It's not an insurance policy against the possibility that there might be a heaven or a hell. It's not a talisman for superstitious people to bring them good luck. It's not a section to be added to our lives so as to make our lives well-rounded. It's not just an organization. It's not just a country club in which one takes membership and keeps up with his dues. The Christ of Easter has a life that is lived in the days of the week with our families and our business, with our pleasures. It affects our habits, our interests, our pocketbook, our desires, our motives, our sorrows, our joys, our sicknesses, our health, our youth, our middle age, our declining years, and it affects our death. The New Testament term for this garden of life, which Easter brings, is the kingdom of God. (laughs) I love how Jesus put it in Matthew 13, verse 33. It says there that the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. In this case, the picture that Jesus has there is what should become a part of our lives, every part of it. Nothing in our lives should escape the influence of what Christ has done. Life, to be a garden, must have a couple of elements to it. 
It needs to have a living Lord and a living relationship to Him. That's that picture of Mary at the tomb. Again, that relationship is what is brought forth. (laughs) When Christ is with you in your life and when He is that mystery of Him in your heart, He's with you when you get up in the morning. He's at the table when you thank Him. He is there when you do devotions with your family or alone. When you pray, He's there. Your work, because He's there because God has given you that ability to provide and protect. He's there when you keep track of your stewardship and your checkbook and how you spend your money because everything's a gift from God. He's there in your pleasure because the simple, satisfying sort of loved ones, friends, and nature and all those things that are pure and honest, lovely, and of good report. He's there because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and your mind should seek the things of God. He's there in your spirit and your soul as you seek the nourishment from God's Word. He's there as you cherish your friends and family. And yes, you can balance the knowledge of this world and what it offers and all the history that's there and all the things that come flying you. You can balance that with the fact and the truth of a sovereign God. That's the garden that God wants to resurrect. To give you eternal life and then to live out your life for Him. With Jesus Christ first, last, and always. Is Easter only for ministers and missionaries? By no means. Easter is for everybody. Are you filled with that new life that Christ can give? Or is it just kind of flying over your heads? Does it seem revolutionary? Does it seem almost fanatical that Christ wants to be in your life? But my friend, this is where the rubber hits the road, doesn't it? Are you afraid? (laughs) Are you afraid to face sin which you know you'll have to break with because you've let the risen Christ be your Lord? (laughs) Are you afraid to face the critical world because you know it will mean taking a different tact with your friends And your acquaintances. Are you afraid to face the living Christ because you know it means unconditional surrender to Him? And you still want that control. If you are afraid, and again I'll ask that question, are you afraid as we look at the tracks of this world? If we are afraid, it's because the idol of I and of myself is still on the throne. And we live not in a garden then. We live in a grave. Galatians 6 8 puts it that way. The one who sows to please a sinful nature is flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. Romans 8 8. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature, by the flesh, cannot please God. In Romans 8, 6, the mind of the sinful nature, the flesh, is death. 
Now, don't get me wrong. You and I are not going to be able to live perfectly in this life. That old nature dies hard, and it's going to stay there our whole lives until we physically die or until the day Christ comes back. But that new nature is the one that needs to be fed. No matter how lovely things may seem in your life, if you live for yourself, you live in a grave. And the sting of death, which is separation from God, is your being. The decay of death is eating away at your soul. And you may look good on the outside. Jesus talked to the Pharisees that way in Matthew 23. As you see those words on the screen, He called them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're just full of dead man's bones. Outwardly they appeared righteous to men, but inside they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And just so you know, if we do that, Jesus could point and point that out. If I were to sit here and point that out at you, I've got three fingers pointing right back, right here. (laughs) We all struggle. But we have one who takes us from the tomb. (laughs) How can we go from this grave of death to an inhabitant of the garden of life? There's two things. The first one is this, and it involves our flesh. It's a crucifixion that needs to take place. A cross. We can take it to Calvary because Jesus took it for us. He was crucified for us. As the old song says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Somewhere I read of a young man who was visiting one day with his pastor. He was very flippant about the worldly ways that he was living in. He said, I want to tell you, pastor, the kind of life I live in my business I've lied many times in order to close certain deals, but it doesn't bother me. I don't care about it. If I have to cheat and steal, I don't care about that. And the pastor listened patiently until the young man had finished, and then he told him in a simple, straightforward way the story of Jesus, the cross, and the empty tomb. The pastor then asked the young man if he would go home and say ten times, before he retired and went to bed, these words, Jesus Christ died for me, but I don't care about that. The young man agreed, though he thought it was very foolish that he should do that. When he got home, he began to say to himself, Jesus Christ died for me, but I don't care about that. He had not repeated the sentence a half dozen times when he reached for his hat and went back to the pastor And humbly acknowledged, if God sent His Son to die for me, I do care about it. I want to know more. The don't care attitude must be crucified before any life can become a garden. We need to die to ourselves. Because we have one who died in our place. And see, the second thing we need is a resurrection. We need an empty tomb. Easter must happen. 
in Romans chapter 6. By the way, it's another great passage of Scripture to read sometime, the whole chapter. But let me read verses 3 through 8, the words that Paul writes here. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. (laughs) For we know that Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 9 of that text says, Dear friend, Jesus lives not only as a figure in the past and not only as a judge to be faced in the future, but as our present companion. In our help, He is our Savior and our Lord. And you can put that word in there, my Savior, my Lord. Just like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ. For Christ lives in me. And in Philippians 1.21, Paul said, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die would be gain. (laughs) Live for Jesus. Live in the garden of life. Today. (laughs) Let me close with this. W.E. Sangster was a Methodist preacher. And his voice went completely out due to muscular dystrophy late in his life. He wrote to his daughter on Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died. He said to his daughter, he said, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout. He is risen. (laughs) But he wrote this, he said, But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. (laughs) I'm not asking that we become Pentecostal at this moment and shout it out. (laughs) But I am asking that you would believe. You would trust in the one who gives life. We're going to sing a song here in a bit after I pray as the team comes up in the the orchestra. And it's it's one of the, I'll just say it, it's one of the funnest songs to sing on Easter. I always love to sing it with the kids because I make them sit way down. Actually, I've done that with congregations where they sit down and they, Rise up at the one point. You don't have to do that today, by the way. But He is risen. He is risen indeed. May we live in that truth. Let's pray, and as the team will come up. Lord, thank You for the truth. Grow that garden in our lives. May we die to sin and live live to You. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for rising again so that we can have a living, sure hope of eternal life.
Do your work, God, in each of our hearts, in my heart today and each heart here. Help us to go forward one step at a time and trust in you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.